what you waiting on? Check, check, cause on your phone. This the Tony Sand Show, turn your radio on. Kelsey just turned down like a field goal, so we in the zone. Got games like a stadium, I'ma go ahead and pack the dome. I'm cooler, smoother, make you think with your medulla. You a student, I'ma school you with the fact that I'm producing. This is for the high schoolers, college students, nah. Everyone can do it, do this, I ain't new to this. My style is rich, it's lucrative, maneuver through it. You know it's fashion, you know it's so sensational, like my big homie Tony. Recording in progress. Go BBS Radio. Hey, what's happening? What's happening, my radio and television listeners? We are back another week, man. My man B. B. Listen, man. We've been to give it to him. We're gonna give him all the information around the sports world. I know you are you spent your day. In Chicago. Yes, sir. How was it? You came out of there feeling a little good, a little better about Chicago, because last week we didn't have the confidence that Chicago would be able to get the job done the way they was able to get the job done. And they were having fun. They appeared to be having fun, sliding through the water, doing their thing. Man, you went to Chicago's practice. How was it? Well, Tony, great to be on the show again. Another second week of the NFL season. So yes. it's absolutely outstanding. What we saw last week was absolutely incredible. I think every NFL fan is really excited about what we saw last weekend. And in reference to the Bears, Tony, I mean, it was a completely different atmosphere. Uh, last year, I had the privilege to go to the Bears practice when uh, Nagy was the head coach of the Chicago Bears. And there was no vibe. There was no energy. There was no synergy between uh, reps and representations that the players were playing were, were, were working through. So it didn't flow properly. This Tony was actually totally different. Matt Eberflus and his entire staff ran a, a professional, really well-worked practice. And I was really impressed by the passes Justin Fields was throwing in practice this week. Now you, and, and as you said, there was a difference in the practices. Give, give the listening audience, give everybody an opportunity when you say there's a difference. What made it so much of a difference that it stood out that when you left the practice, you said, okay, Chicago is going somewhere, and Justin Fields is possibly to be the guy that can take him. Good question, Tony. You know what I think is, is that watching last year, um, there was a lot of standing around. I felt like that the team was malaise is the word that I would use. And there was no energy. There was no pop. Most NFL right. training camps and camps, weekly, daily practices that you see, if fans are privileged to see any of this, there's music playing and there's sort right. of an energy. But in order for the practice to flow, uh, you know, synchronize well, you have to be going through different reps and different sequences of the practice. And I feel like Matt Eberflus and his, his staff have really had this in, in place. And today it was a different vibe. They ran through pr- different reps. Justin Fields was making really a, a bunch of throws. He caught uh, Cole Kemet, the tight end, second-year tight end out of Notre Dame, connected with him on a nice 42-yard pass that was deep in the corner, which is a very hard throw. So Justin Fields is actually maturing, who we thought would actually struggle this season. Now, he still can struggle, Tony, but for week one, Justin Fields had an outstanding game. One, he looked good. Now, I'm going to tell you something. you got to remember, this is one of those young guys, that, but he has a lot of guys around him that is able to lift his youngness up 
and make him seem like he is a veteran like he should. You got to think of one guy, Khalil Herbert, from what you stated, had was having a great practice and flying around and having fun. Give me some things that you saw that Khalil Herbert was doing that made you say, okay, this combination of the Chicago Bears and what they're doing with their new coach can possibly change what people thought and where people thought that Chicago Bears would, would fare in the North. Well, I think what I've seen is, is the speed and the health of Khalil Herbert, which is going to be important. Khalil has to stay healthy, which is going to be something vital for all running backs. But for Khalil in particular, if he can play a full 17-game season, I think it's beneficial to his career. And it will help Justin Fields, along with the Chicago Bears, with a sufficient run game. And Khalil Herbert, as you know, Tony, has the ability to catch passes out of the backfield. Yes. So this guy's a real weapon. Um, compliment him with David Montgomery, uh, the running back for the Chicago Bears, who is the starting running back. I think they have a nice one-two tandem which will help Justin Fields and take a little bit of the pressure off of him uh, moving forward. So the Chicago Bears have a starting quarterback, two sufficient running backs, yeah. Cole Kemet, as I mentioned, from Notre Dame. I think that they have the start, the start of a nice nucleus and building uh, NFL franchise moving forward. Still a long way away, but nice building blocks to start. And, I, and when you talk about building blocks and you talk about pressure and you talk about teams moving in the right direction, man, listen, Deion Sanders – was out in front of this money situation that he feel that HBCUs are not getting. He feel like they are not getting their fair share. Before we get into it, let's let our Don, could you play that soundbite from Deion Sanders uh, and, and what he was saying far as when it comes to the money? And I'm looking at numbers that they gave me. Marshall got a million two five to play against Notre Dame. Appalachian State got a million five to play against uh, Texas A&M. Georgia Southern got one four to play against Nebraska, okay, and so forth. Uh, now let's get to us. Fam, you got 450 to play against North Carolina. Southern, thank God, you got 760. I like that. Alabama State, 5'9", if you UCLA. You probably exhausted that in the flight going all the way across the country. But doing mm-hmm. Cookman, I don't even know what their payout is. We still try to find out that. Alabama and AM, 300000 as well to play against UAB. If we're going to get our butt kicked, shouldn't it be worth it? How in the world are we selling for the peanuts and the, 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 the little minute droppings that they're giving us? When everybody's darn near five, six hundred thousand, should we get together and huddle up as the HBCU and say we're not playing these beat down games Don, unless you, we get this? Don't go up under. You can negotiate above. V man, you you heard Dion. Dion is adequate, but when you look at those numbers, there is a big difference in the numbers. There is a big difference in the numbers. What do you think? What do you think contributes to why the numbers are so different when you talk about HBCUs and you talk about a lot of the lower FCS schools? Good point, Tony. I think the first thing that we need to remember is is that this run that Deion Sanders is on with Jackson State building the brand, elevating the brand to a nationally recognized team as right. an HBCU school. Is not, as I mentioned, to, we talked about this before on the Tony Sands show. I've mentioned to it that the brand of Jason, Jackson State is just so much bigger 
than the other HBCU schools due to Deion Sanders. Yes. No fault of anyone else's, right? But the the fact is, though, is that these schools are basically a tax write-off. I hate to say it, Tony. Okay. They're just a whip. They're just a a, a, a automatic win for a team to get their student. Yeah, to get their team and their their alumni. They all have drinks and they sit in the press box and everybody's excited and they're they're just they're there for the first game to watch a win. And it's an automatic win against HBCU school. And the only thing that HBCU schools across the board really have to present is a band. Now, wait, hold on. Now, now, wait a minute. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Now, you're saying outside of Jackson State. That's right. The only thing that people are scheduling HBCUs are, are to see their bands and to get a win? Absolutely. And, and you know what? It's sad to say that, but let's look at it. I mean, let's be realistic here. First off, something Dion needs to realize is that about 15, 20 years ago, the, the, the HBCU schools weren't possibly even playing some of the teams that they're playing yeah. now. So we have had some, 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 some advancement. Some things have changed. But we have to understand that the level of the HBCU school across the board does not even come remotely close to the 95% of the, the schools Georgia, that are out there. Oh, now, when I look at a Georgia Southern making right. 1.4, you can't right. tell me you got a Georgia Southern making 1.4 and you have a FAMU or you have a, a – and Southern got a good payday. And I said there are several HBCUs I feel like can – Breach that pinnacle of getting that. That's Jackson State, Grambling, because of Grambling's history. Eddie Robinson, uh, uh, Doug Williams. I feel like those are schools that can't ask for a higher payout than under the five. Uh, Jackson State, I'm quite sure. Jackson State probably be one of those schools that can get in a million because of what Dion brings to the table and who he is. I was thinking Tennessee State. With Eddie George could possibly dance around that because I always looked at Tennessee State as a different type of, you know, they're different. People to me look at them different. I know that because my son played in a conference that where Tennessee State was at. So they they are looked at a little different. But now, do Dion start, you know, shaking the, the cage and all of a sudden now, these schools said, you know what? Well, we just won't play you guys. We won't have to play you. So we won't have right. to worry about you talking about how much money you get paid. We just won't play you. Does that hurt an HBCU program that needs this type of funding? And I think it does, Tony, because, I mean, these teams could automatically schedule other universities on their their, their schedule. They're not obligated to, to book any specific school. This is all about right. business, and they're giving these kids an opportunity. But what I think Dion needs to understand is that if we, we extrapolate this out to 10 to 15 years ago, the schools weren't getting half a million dollars for a football right. game. Right. Kids weren't playing on national television recognized games. So we've, we've moved up. Um, I think that, that he needs to understand that there has been some advancement, but he yes. has to understand that, that Jackson State will probably be able to get a million dollars for a football game within a year that no other HBCU will be able to get because they're Jackson State. Listen, and with FAM's rich tradition and rich history, I think it's going to come a time I think FAM can can act that. Because you know here in the state of Florida, you know who was the first school to win a national championship here in the state of Florida. You understand FAM was that school. Right. 
Fam was that school in the state of Florida. That's, you're talking about Miami, Florida, Florida State. Fam was the first college in the state of Florida to win a national championship. So I think Fam, with what they bring as far as the band, the band being on television, different things like that, I think eventually if they use that leverage, and I know they don't want to use the band leverage because they're going to play a football game. Sometimes you got to put all the pieces in the puzzle to say, listen, I want to be able to get this kind of money. I want to be able to get a $1.5 million payday. Do you know how much that'll help? Fam got, I think, what was it, four fifty, Right. This North Carolina State. And I'm quite sure all that four fifty was put into the pool to find academic support people. Because when they got back, that became a, a, a big story, a big topic. But I think I think we're going to see some things change. I, I, I think with Dion, as long as he stays at Jackson State V, I think he keeps on shaking the leaves, making these people say, Hey, guess what? Ah, we can't pay these we can't play these HBCUs and not give them that money, that funding. We gotta Wait. be able to give them the funding because Dion is going to bring us well, under the copy and going to demand it out of us. I think bigger than Deion Sanders is the transfer portal will have more of an effect from HBCUs than Deion Sanders. I think what's going to happen is we're going to see sufficiently that some kids can't go to these big time schools or they're four string on the big time school, but he could start at an HBCU that's now playing um, a higher level of football in a couple of big games a year, possibly on a CBS Sports Network or some of the other networks in the big-time game that these schools are getting 450000 for. So what I think now is going to happen is is the transfer portal will allow the HBCUs now to get an influx of talent, like Florida okay. A&M was getting this year. Okay. And I think systematically through the next two, three years, the talent level will systematically rise, But and, and it'll get better. It will get better, I think. I think the HBCUs will get better within the next few years. But I think Jackson State is on like a meteoric rise right now, Tony. I think Jackson State will be playing anybody with, uh, you know, uh, 15 to 25 in the, in the AP rankings, Jackson State has the ability to play in the next few years. I would, I would love to see Jackson State play a Georgia Southern. Sure. And, I agree. I agree. I, or, I, I, or Arkansas State. How about Arkansas yes. State? Arkansas State. I think he can – I think, listen, the way Dion had them boys playing – down here in South Florida, when I got when I went and watched them, Dion had them flying around. They didn't look like an HBCU that I'm used to seeing. They looked like they should be, as you stated, they should be playing in that a higher level of higher level of conference football out there. You know? Yeah, I I, I didn't want to say it because I I still want him to stay rooted, grounded. In the HBCU world with Jackson State, I'm quite sure some smaller conferences has been knocking on their door, but I think Dion's going to, like I told you, going to stay steadfast, not going to move, and will take. If the ball is fourth and five, I think Dion say, put it in my hands. We're going to run to a commercial back, and we're going to come back. And we're talking Russell Wilson. Should Russell Wilson have demanded that he get the ball? On fourth and five, or do he just <laughs> kick it and it hurts his ability to be considered one of the greats? Stay tuned here on the Tony Sanchez. We go to commercial break, and we're coming back talking Russell Wilson. Thanksgiving weekend, Brown County is officially on lock. We got this as we get ready for the most anticipated oh, yeah. festival around. It's, it's the, the Poplar Fall Festival. Performing live is Plies. <laughs> Put it on your calendar, Ben. 
supplies back in the city. What's in my pocket Big face honey. Life Jennings. It's the Pompano no Fall Festival, man. November the 26th, man. It's that festival going down. Kiki Wyatt. Hey, Florida, it's your girl Kiki Wyatt. Come and meet me November the 26th at the Pompano Fall Festival. I cannot wait to see y'all there. So- Rome and many more. Also performing Prince Raheem, Black Pack, MC Shy D, Gigolo Tony. Saturday, November 26th at the Pompano Community Park. Gates open at 2 p.m. till 11 p.m. for the second annual Pompano Fall Festival. Tickets available online at eventbrite.com. Also get tickets at Easy OZ Bail Bar and Chinaman Print Shop in Lauderhill. For more info, call 954-857-8802. We're back here live on the Tony Sands Show. As you heard, listen. I'm going to be in the building at the Pompano Fall Festival. I wish Russell Wilson was in the building on that fourth and five, but <laughs> he decided he'll stay on the side. He'll give the kicker a chance to kick the ball and win the game. B, me, you've been going back all week on this, man. We've been going back all week. And I'm going to listen, I say this hurt to me. It hurt Russell Wilson's image to be considered in that great tier of quarterbacks like your Aaron Rodgers and your Tom Brady's. It, 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 it just does. You take, if that's Tom Brady, do you think Tom Brady says, let's give it to the kicker, let him win the game? Aaron Rodgers, give it to the kicker, let him win the game. And Russell Wilson turns it over to the kicker to let him win the ball game? Come on, man. You, you There's no way around explaining a top-tier Super Bowl champion quarterback decides to give the ball to someone else for them to win the ball game. All right, Tony. Let me explain to Come the on, fans now. just a different scenario. I want to put into it because everyone's, everyone's listening to ESPN this week. Everyone's listening to, to all the prognosticators and the experts. Let me give everyone a few things they may or may not know. Now, first off, me, we found out, first off, we found out through sources out of Denver, we found out that Brandon McManus was kicking 64-yard field goals in practice. Now, Wait, hold on, hold on. I wish I had that sound bite. Pre, pre-game, I, I should say. Let me, let, me, let me rephrase that. Go ahead. Pre-game, Go ahead. Yeah. pre-game. Please do. In pre-game, in pre-game, before the game started, each NFL kicker goes out, and he what he does is he yes. figures out his range for that day in those conditions. So okay. the special teams coach for the Denver Broncos was under the, the, the notion that 64 was the max yard range for Brandon McManus that day. Now, let's remember, Brandon McManus yes. is a Super Bowl winning kicker who has a 61-yard field goal on his resume that he's already made before in his career. So what happened was on this specific drive, Tony, Russell Wilson had a play called and he was actually ready to run a play. Okay? However, he also had in this headset, because the coach was talking on that the 46-yard line was the mark for the maximum range for McManus to make the field goal. Correct. So that's why when Russell Wilson ran off the field, people saw Russell running off the field like it was all good. Like, we got this, right? But what the reality is is that Russell Wilson didn't fight with the coach or anything like that because he was under the understanding from the special teams coach and from his head coach that McManus is good from 64 max. And he got him to that spot. And the way Russell Wilson was playing, Tony, I think that the head coach said, you know what, we got a better shot right now at getting – the 64-yard field goal, which he only missed by about two yards to the slightly to the left. Hold on. Listen, as you said, everybody – um, listen, that was the topic. And you got to understand, and it's still been the topic because I still say 
It put a little damper on how people see Russell Wilson. Let's we're gonna play Shannon Shop. Let's let Shannon Shop tell you how he viewed and how what he thought Russell Wilson should have done in that situation, like other great quarterbacks would have done in that situation. Don, if you can play, let's play that Shannon Sharp soundbite. Hi there, everybody. Happy Tuesday and welcome into Undisputed. We're so glad you're with us. I'm Jen Hale. That is Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp. Good morning, gentlemen. How are we today? Good. It's not a good morning. No, it's not a good morning. I did catch you on the Manning cast (laughs) last night with Peyton and Eli. And I'm trying to figure out who's the bigger Bronco homer, you or Peyton? It's close. I think I think Peyton might be. I think Peyton might have eclipsed you. I could not believe it. They were they were lobbing you a lot of softball questions, and now you got to play hardball again, right? There wasn't no softball questions. I thought so. I mean, we was. Rooting for the Broncos, yeah, and they let us. You were doing, and they let you down. They let us down. That's let too us down. bad, Jen. Well, I know who go. lost first. Uh, we yeah, we the last Baker. team to lose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the Baker revenge game on Sunday didn't quite work out, and then the Russell Wilson revenge game no. last night. Ugh. Down one point with a minute left last night. Shannon's Broncos let the clock run down to 20 seconds before calling a timeout. They decided to kick a field goal on fourth and five from the 46. Brandon McManus missed the 64-yard kick, left, giving the Seahawks a 17-16 victory. Shannon, should Nathaniel Hackett let Russell Wilson have gone for it on fourth and five? Let Russ cook? Hell yeah. Skip, what the hell are you paying a guy two hundred plus million dollars for if you're going if you're going to trot your field goal kick out to kick a 64-yarder? I'm paying him this kind of money for these very situations on fourth and five in a hostile environment on the road. Don't I've got Russell Wilson. Hey, you going? Hey, we going for this? Mm. I'm not going to try. Everybody, look. Everybody doesn't have Justin Tucker. If you had Justin Tucker, Skip, I might be okay with it. But let's cut that down. I'm giving up the future for Russell. Now, (laughs) you explain when all football players. That next morning, if you played football, you were saying it should have been in his hands. Period. Absolutely. 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 And this is the thing you got to understand. In a normal situation, when you when a quarterback and a coach have their relationship and their philosophy already worked out, and they've been through the wars or certain experience in certain game situations, it's already known now that Russell Wilson will have the ball in his hand on fourth down. But what I think people need to understand is this head coach was his first head coaching game. This was Russell Wilson's first game with this head coach and this team. And I don't think that, you know, people are looking for, uh, you know, him to go to the sideline basically and demand the ball. I don't think it was that type of a situation. Not in the first game in that situation. But regardless of what game a great quarterback is in, you think in that situation Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers would have said, man, this is a first-time coach. Let me ease up on because you make the decision. No. You know well, that's that, not going to happen. Well, that's actually, but that's actually what's actually happened, Tony. Well, Aaron Rodgers, several times in his career in the last few years with Matt LaFleur, has sat there and allowed Matt LaFleur to take the ball out of his hands. We've all seen it. We've seen Stephen A. go off not about without, it. But not, and, without a, but, but not without a fight. No, but he didn't get a fight until the point of last year or the year before when he basically blew his top and basically argued with the coach on the sideline. But and and Tom Brady the same way with with, with Bruce Arians at one point yes. and Brian Leftwich. But what I'm saying is that every coach and every quarterback have to figure out their philosophy on the fly. They can't sit in an office and think about it 
and say what they're going to do when it happens. When the bullets are flying and it's actually live action, you have to go through these scenarios of of rights and wrongs to be able to get a, a positive quarterback coach philosophy to be able check. to move forward. He's catching a check for $256 million. He better be ready for those type of situations, and he better be able to demand that. He's a Super Bowl champion quarterback. There's no way you wait fourth and five and you say, Coach, hey, listen, let's see if we get it closer. I think people would have woke up the next morning feeling a little better had, had Russell Wilson said, guess what? Put the ball in my hands. Well, what, if the, what, if, what if the coach in the headset told him while he was on the field on fourth and five and Russell was starting to try to call a play, he said, he said, hey, what if your coach said to him in the headset, we're good from here from a field goal? B-Mac is good from here. Okay, but what what bought that? What would have bought that to the coach's children? No, coach. See, what I think that people didn't address is, is why didn't Russell Wilson, and this is, again, this is because we have a new head coach at the Denver Broncos. Right. When you had the timeout, Russell Wilson and the coach should have consorted and got together and came up with a philosophy of what they wanted to do right then and there. Not him talking to Russell in the headset when Russ was on the field. When Russ came off the field, there was no real interaction really between the two of them where they right. sat there for like 30 seconds or a minute in the timeout and went over, hey, man, what do you think you want to do? Or Russ even saying what you were saying by him saying, man, give me the ball. I'm, I'm going to get this thing. Give you know? I right. Right. But what I'm saying is they didn't even have that communicate, the verbal communication at the time of the timeout to be even to go over that. And I think that comes from the inexperience of the head coach. Right. But if there's, like you said, the inexperience of the head coach. But we also know that Russell Wilson is not an inexperienced quarterback. Despite this being his first game with the different different Broncos, Russell Wilson is a Super Bowl quarterback that understands situ- down and distance and situation and clock management. I'll be honest with you, Tony. I think the, the preseason really hurt Russell Wilson. You know, for the fans out there, NFL teams that did not play most of their starters in the preseason, their records this first week in the NFL season was three wins and eight losses. So, and the Broncos were one of the teams that got an eight loss. And Russell Wilson, as we saw, he looked like he had happy feet. He was jittery. He was basically unstable in the pocket. And I think what happened is, is the lack of the preseason cost Russell Wilson in many ways in this football game where he left wide open receivers open where he did not make the positive throw at the time where he could have made it. Listen, not taking anything away from the game. But what I'm saying to you in that situation, if I'm paying you that type of money, I want to see you in the ball game. If you notice, the only thing that took Dak Prescott out of the ball game was a hand. Other than that, Dak would have been in the game in that situation. Tom Brady would have been in the game in that situation. Aaron Rodgers would have been in the game in that situation. Joe Burrows would have been in the game in that situation. But you got to understand, Tone, you're right. But the only thing that you're missing is these quarterbacks have a rapport. They already have years or a certain amount of game experience with their head coach. This guy and this head coach have no experience besides Monday, what we just saw. But I listen. So moving forward, Tone, you're right. And I think that the coach on Monday when him and Russell Wilson met at the headquarters of the Denver Broncos facility, I'm sure that they went over and laughed probably at each other, unfortunately, and probably said, you know you're going to have the ball in your hand next time, right? And he's probably laughed and said, I got it. And no, that, they, they got to go from there. If, I think anything, the biggest, if anything, he should have said, Coach, <laughs> listen, we can't have that. can't have that. I but see, no, that ball. causes confrontation. I think that Russell Wilson <laughs> didn't play enough tone. The Broncos fumbled two times on the one-yard line. I mean, Correct. the Denver Broncos could have easily won this football game. So, I mean, it's unfortunate that it came down to a 64-yard field goal or a fourth-and-five attempt. 
But the Broncos had seven or uh, four starts in this football game. They had all offseason to come up with hand signals and variations in the offensive line and hand signals with Russell Wilson with his wide receivers in a hostile environment, and they did not have that. So they were technically unprepared. So when we go back and we look at the field goal and the fourth and five attempt right there, we have to understand that, hey, there was three and a half quarters that was played before this that this team didn't execute and didn't didn't do what they had to do. But who do we put – what I'm saying, who do we put that – to me, like you say, you got an inexperienced coach, but you got right. a Super Bowl quarterback. Who didn't play in a preseason and had no play time. So, uh, you know, you can't ah, simulate – No, I'm not – no, I don't want to – I don't want to – I don't want to put that – listen – how many years Russell Wilson has been in the league? He's oh, well, it's a totally different tone. You know better than anybody else. Come on, man. Russell got to be ready. Russell you under- a great deal of offseason uh, uh, training hard, getting ready true, for this true. moment. True, true. Absolutely. Ready for that moment. Absolutely. He's harder than anybody I see. He's always on social media doing his training. Here you go in a situation, and then when you looked at Russell, and if anybody looked at Russell and I, and I looked away, he just looked like it was like, oh, okay, all right, I don't, I don't supposed to have it. You're right. That's 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 what I got from it. Well, see, I, what I'm saying to you though is, is that I think that Russell Wilson did not. Again, we saw him with the workouts. We saw him take his wide receivers on several passing camps to try to get a rapport with his new wide receivers, but he didn't yes. work out hand signals for the first game in a hostile environment when he could not be able to get communication to his wide receivers or his offensive line in particular, who had seven false starts. So Russell Wilson became, um, he was not prepared. Also, two-tone, he didn't have a good game, and he was very jittery, and you can't simulate live action of week one in the NFL football game and practice, unfortunately. And I think it showed in Russell Wilson's three and a half quarters of playing football. I mean, I I, I, I like it, but like I told you, if you, was, if you play football, man, it's, it's hard. It's hard for us to see in that situation that the great ones would not have wanted the ball in their hand. I, but they all, I all the quarterbacks. But Tony, totally we watched all the quarterbacks and their coaches go at it with their with their coach on the sideline at some. But point. I didn't see that though. I but, didn't but see this that. Is the fir- but this is the first game, and they won't have to now because they'll have an understanding and a coach quarterback relationship will have now from the first day. They will have not have to go through what Aaron Rodgers went through for three and a half years with Matt Lafleur. Right, of them you, taking the ball out of his hand. In this situation, and let's call it what it is, because we realized that at some point Green Bay was thinking about moving away from Aaron Rodgers, but they got in a jam. Well, you both you know it, and I know it both. Here we are in a new situation to where all of a sudden now you got a new quarterback. You're moving in a new direction. Right. You put the ball in the new guy's hands. Oh, and they will. They will. I think the bigger question is, is what does Russell Wilson do on Sunday now? Because last week was last week. The game is gone now. You know in the NFL mentality is, is the next game just like the next man up. The faster that you get a win listen, is the faster that you got to start preparing for your next opponent. Listen, you know, some so of, some of my some of the fans that are watching the show, like my man Fred Tigner, he said Russell looked at uncomfortable. Absolutely. And you're going to look on, and he's 100% right, Tony, because you're going to look uncomfortable as an NFL quarterback if you have not played preseason football of live action of people actually physically trying to get at you. The Denver Bronco practices, Tony, just like any other practice, the quarterback has a red, red jersey on. It's no contact. You know, these guys from Seattle, you got to give your hats off to Geno Smith, who played an outstanding game. Who played an game. outstanding game. A great Pro- listen, Right? And Geno Smith, to me, I played uh-huh. Russell Wilson. 
He outplayed Russell Wilson for three quarters until Russell got hot, and I think Russell started to get uh, he, he outplayed him. Don't he did he, I, I, I agree. Come on now. But, I agree, but here's the thing. Did anybody think Geno Smith was going to play that good? No. But did we think that Russell Wilson would play that bad? But this is what I'm saying to you. NFL teams this week in week one are three and eight that did not play their stars. Correct. Correct. Russell Wilson did not play in the preseason, and he looked like he didn't play in the preseason. I understand that a lot of fans, the media, and a lot of experts say, oh, the preseason, uh, go to sleep or whatever. Don't even watch it. Let me tell you something. There's people actually out there trying to fight for a job and trying to maintain, and they're actually physically coming at a certain game speed that's not quite what we saw on week one. However, it is closer to week one action than, than Russell Wilson not getting any live reps. But, and I understand. And, and like you said, we talk about week one. Let's talk about some of the major injuries uh, to some of the teams in week one. Absolutely. As you know, my guy, Dak Woo. Prescott. Probably Big to injury. me. Oh, man. And, and, and if you can, Doug, let's play that Dak Prescott uh, soundbite. The play that uh, happened. Um, no, Prescott. not necessarily. Let's play that, that Oh, man. What do the Cowboys go from here? The play that happened, um, no, not necessarily in the game, just in the midst of it. Thought I jammed it. I mean, I've uh, hit my hand on helmets or bodies uh, a lot in my career um, and never really had anything, maybe a jammed finger here, and I actually thought that's what it was. Just the next play, realized I couldn't grip the ball, let the sideline know. Um, and then when I got off, yeah, I told the trainers the same thing. I was just like, I can't grip. I feel like if you yank it, I'll be okay. And no, it came in, got x-rays, and things are different. I just got to go see the doctor tomorrow. Um, plans for to see him surgery tomorrow and let me know once they get in there, they see everything. I uh, was told it was much cleaner than it could have been. Jack, how disappointing is this and how would you characterize your emotions right now? Yeah, it's very disappointing. Um, but injuries happen. Uh, can't necessarily control it. Um, just unfortunate. Obviously going to miss some time, uh, not be there for my team. Uh, and that's what hurts more than more than anything, uh, especially after the start that we just put out there. Um, wanting to be able to respond and not necessarily having that opportunity for several weeks. Um, yeah, it's unfortunate, but I'll do what I've always done anytime adversity comes. Take on it, take it on head first, uh, and it'll get my best. And I'm sure. I'll- wow, what is- big injury! Big injury! What do they go from here? Oh man, Tom, this is a big injury. You know, you never wanted anybody to get to hurt in the NFL. And Dak Prescott, I feel really bad for this guy because he puts in a lot of work, as we mentioned, like these quarterbacks put in the offseason. But the problem right here is there is nowhere to go, Tony. Jimmy Garoppolo currently right now, after he got his new pre-structured contract for the San Francisco 49ers, has a no-trade clause in his contract. Yes. So Jimmy Garoppolo would have to actually waive his no-contract and new, learn a new offense and everything. And as we talked about before, Jimmy Garoppolo could be the starting quarterback in a few weeks. So that's not an option. You know, they've talked about the Mason Rudolphs and the various other quarterbacks. I think the Dallas Cowboys, unfortunately, Tony, are stuck in a situation where they're just going to have to ride it out and hope for the best, you know, until Dak Prescott gets back, because this is not a good situation. right? Now. And the question that the Dallas Cowboys must ask, the fans must ask themselves, along with Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones, is, is why have you been running around with such an insufficient back of quarterback for so long? I, when I listen, and, and I think it goes deeper than I think. What happened is a you know reflection of that the, how bad the Dallas Cowboys line is, and, and I'm the first to tell you that's the area I think that we're hurting. We always wondered when 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 Tyrod Smith went out, 
would that hurt Dak Prescott? And we found out the answer to that is yes. <laughs> it hurt him not in the aspect of his ability to pass the ball, but in his ability to hold the ball and pass the ball. Because now the Cowboys are in a, a situation. Can Rush rush in and save the day for the Cowboys? I don't think so because I think we also are hurting at the wide receiver position. And I Absolutely. think we're finding out now if we didn't get a chance to refill for Amari Cooper, we're finding out how much pressure that they are putting on the 88 club. <laughs> CD Lamb? Yes. We're finding out <laughs> how strong and does this make it even louder that he's wearing the number 88? That, hey, CD, sometimes what we ask for is not what we want. You want to number one. It comes along. There's a lot come with being number one. A lot. How do you what? see the Cowboys faring out? The, and Jerry Jones has been adamant about that. That's why they didn't put him on, on, on IR because he will be back in three games. Unbelievable, Tony. You know, Jerry Jones is just showing acts of desperation is what we call it at this point. The man wants to win so bad that he's now gone from owner to surgeon to professional surgeon. Okay, he's going to now tell us when the guy, how long he's going to be out. You know, he did the same thing to Marion Barber. Um, God rest Marion Barber's soul. He's passed away now. But I mean, he did that to Marion Barber, Tony. When Marion Barber had gotten hurt on several occasions, he basically made Marion Barber get back in the football games when Marion Barber yes. was injured. And now he's pressuring Dak Prescott to say, hey, listen, man, I need you back out there in three weeks or we have no season. And it's not fair to Dak Prescott. And I think that the injury that Dak Prescott has um, in, in, in received right now, I think what's going to happen is we're going to have to probably do some research on the Jay Cutler injury. Is the only guy that I can think of that's had anything similar to uh, this type of devastating injury where you got plates and screws inserted into your thumb and how this is going to be able to work on Dak Prescott's ability to be able to spin a football. I think that this is a bad thing. Dallas Cowboys season has gone in a completely different direction than where they wanted and everybody else possibly had thought. And I think what's going to happen now is that the Dallas Cowboys are going to have a struggle for the remainder of the football season. Even when Dak Prescott gets back, this is going to be a long year for the Dallas Cowboys. And I, I think it's going to show has a call been put out to Sean Payton, or is it too early? Well, I'll give you one better than that, Tony. How about this? Does Jerry Jones regret giving Dak Prescott the contract in January of this year? Because let's say he would only extended them for one year. With the college draft that's coming out right now, yes. the Dallas Cowboys, now that they've given Dak Prescott this contract, financially they cannot get out from Dak Prescott's contract until 2024, right? right? Right. But this draft class that's coming out in the, this year and the next year or so, these are new quarterbacks that are coming out, okay? This is a new era. Dak Prescott, in about a year or two, is going to be sort of like a, a different era quarterback, if you understand what I'm trying to say. He's I, not Trevor Lawrence. No, I, would, I, I wouldn't you know, put him out the pasture just that. that no, quick, not though. out the pasture. I'm just saying that. How much more do you think? Do you think Dak Prescott has reached the ceiling, or do you think his ceiling is still going to rise? I think him being in the situation that he's in, I think that Prescott still has some ceiling to go because I don't think he's reached where him he himself feels comfortable that he can say he's one of the great 
Dallas Cowboys quarterback. And I'm quite sure no one that plays for the Dallas Cowboys as the quarterback position want to walk away saying that they're not great. When we look at the wins that Dak Prescott has been able to put up with the Dallas Cowboys, the biggest obstacle I think that that hunts Dak is that he hasn't been able to get deeper into the playoffs. And I think that does not contribute to Dak Prescott's ability. I think it attributes to a couple of things. Was it a catch? Wasn't a catch. Or, or have we put really truly put enough around Dak Prescott to make Dak Prescott successful? You know, as you mentioned before about Sean Payton, Tony, I mean, Mike McCarthy is basically a man that cannot win right now, okay? I mean, he's got the Rush guy, Cooper Rush, as his quarterback. We all know that they're probably going to lose against the Cincinnati Bengals and a bunch of other games until Dak Prescott returns. So the real question is, is what is the future of Mike McCarthy with the Dallas Cowboys then? Because we know he's going to have an abysmal record at the end of the season. I think it's already been – I think that's already been etched in stone. I think that's why Sean Payton decided – he didn't want to take over for and have a guy get fired. I think Sean Payton said, I'll wait a year, distance myself from it, and when you make the move, because I, I think he knew the move would be coming, that now you go ahead and bring me in now, and I start structuring this thing in the way that I see fit for it to be structured as a unit. It wonders then. Do a Sean Payton keeps a Dak Prescott around, and how long does he keep a Dak Prescott around is going to be the question. Not only that, but then you got Ezekiel Elliott. How long do the Cowboys continue? And they, a lot of these guys are quarterback, uh, are, are salary guys that has hurt the Dallas Cowboys with them trying to remove themselves from these players. Dak wanted his money. Zeke wanted money. They gave him the money. And now I think on the backside, it has hurt the Dallas Cowboys and their ability to move forward and to move along and try to get some good players. We'll find out. I think Dak Prescott, when he gets back, uplifts the Cowboys a lot more. I just hope that the Cowboys are able to at least come out of this thing with the 500 record to keep in the hunt. I know you don't think so. I know you don't think so. 500 record. Yes. Come on, Come how on, do you not brother. see that? How do you not see the Dallas Cowboys? Which, which game are you going to win? Which when, game when, you going to win? When, before that, get, get back. Which game are you going to win? Which game is the Dallas Cowboys going to win until Dak Prescott gets back? Which game? It could be the Giants. I don't think so. Come on. I don't think and so. And then we Take got the Commanders? Possibly. The Commanders? No, nah, I mean, they'll have Chase Young probably back by then, won't they? <laughs> Listen, we could beat the Commanders. We could beat the Giants. And at the way the Rams are playing, we could possibly beat the Rams. Oh, the Rams <laughs> we can possibly beat the Rams. So Tony, let me tell you that. something. One of the biggest comebacks I think over the NFL season for the from week one to week two is going to be the Rams coming back after they lost their first game against the Buffalo Bills, basically getting embarrassed, and everybody saying that they're no good. I think that they're really going to come out and put a statement game on the Atlanta Falcons this week. So it's funny that you said that you could beat the Rams. We can beat the Rams, bro. We can beat the Rams. I'm telling you, we can beat the Rams. <laughs> we can beat the Rams. Don't, 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 don't listen. If you say we can't beat the Rams, we can't beat the Washington Commanders, and we can't beat the Giants, we are at, at in your eyesight, the Dallas Cowboys are at the worst of the worst when it comes to NFL teams. Who else is left? 
Well, when you got no quarterback, Tony, it all starts and stops with a quarterback in the NFL. I mean, some bad teams are able to raise their bar and He'll be win back. a football yeah. game. Jerry Jones saying the man will only be gone for three games. Now, come on. Jerry Jones is absolutely delusional, and unfortunately, he hasn't won a Super Bowl in so long. He's desperate. How? There's how, no physician. How would you there's put no him as desperate? How is that no desperate? There's no physician out right now that, it, that will corroborate that that, that desperate. I'm quite sure that's what, before he stated, I'm quite sure that's what he said. Let me check with the physicians and see what they're saying. Let me see what they're saying before I check with them. If he Before gets I hit on out. that hand, if he gets hit on that hand again in three and a half, four weeks, according to Jerry Jones, with plates and screws put in it, he could really damage his hand for the rest of his career. So now, do Dak and his do Dak team say, "Hey, listen, we can't do this. We ain't." That's right. And now you're talking. Now you're talking my language. Dak Prescott and his agents say, "Listen, you know we're not playing, right? <laughs> we got our money." We got think, our money. We good. <laughs> I don't think Dak Dak is built like that. I think Dak saying to himself, "The faster I can get back out on this field, the faster I can kind of save and salvage the Dallas Cowboys." I hey, listen. Anytime that you get plate and screws inserted to any anything on your body, it's really a rehab situation. Okay. Any for but yes, plates and yes. screws are a completely different situation. You know what I'm, I'm saying? And and a, and a thumb and the throwing hand. Is really something completely different for a quarterback on how you spend the ball. I of think course. it's going to take about three, four weeks of rehab along with the four weeks uh, along that, you know, he's looking and at eight to ten weeks. That's why he said he couldn't grip the football. So he couldn't, right. you know, right. he told him, hey, I can't, I can't even, he thought that they can just pull it back out of place and snap it back in, which I've had that done, even though the joint does ache when you do that. He felt that, that, that he can get away with that and there's a possibility that he can go back into play. But he right. found out now. This, this some some is deeper is wrong here, and it is hurting real bad. I can't grip the football. Once a quarterback can't grip the football, you might as well sit him, uh, sit sit him down. And also, too, Tony, a broken thumb is one thing. Plates and screws is something completely different. Yes, yes, that you know. Listen, and that could be a situation. But let's hey, let's get into the game tonight. We yes, know, sir. We got, a, we got a great game tonight with the Kansas Woo. City Chiefs and the Los Angeles Chargers. That's I always say that's that, that seemed like so long to say the Los Angeles Chargers, right? Right, and the San Diego Chargers. I know, I know. It sounded is, better with San Diego, right? Yes, it sounds a lot better, but I guess we got to get used to it. As if Kansas City had to get used to Tyreek Hill moving on and them finding a way to say, Guess what? We're still not going to miss a beat. They did not miss a beat to me. With Tyreek Hill gone, I touchdowns. They didn't miss. They didn't miss a beat. Kansas City looked good, but who do we contribute them looking that good to? Eric Bieniemy, or our man Ant? Which who who do you give most of that credit to? Ah, uh, well, you know, Andy Reid is the ancient architect of that style, that offense. But we can't discredit Eric Bieniemy's play call and his design. What he's now added, he actually put calls the plays down distance sequences, like we were talking about with Russell Wilson. So Eric Bieniemy is making hard decisions a lot of times too. So we got to give him the credit as well. But I mean, listen, as you mentioned, the Kansas City Chiefs didn't miss a beat. They were basically like Tyreek Hoop. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, five touchdown passes. Um, you know, Kelsey was open all day. They got the young man that they drafted out of Rutgers named Pacheco, who I think everybody should really pay attention to tonight, who I think is going to score a touchdown. 
the Kip Pacheco is absolutely outstanding. He looks exactly like Tariq Hill, same body build and everything. Might not be quite as fast, but the kid is a lightning bug. So it's going to be an outstanding game tonight. And we got Patrick Mahomes, as you mentioned. I mean, this guy, a lot of people discredit the guy because he's already won certain things. He's had a lot of success. This guy is really, I think, going to have an outstanding season. Now, what's some of the key matchups that you would like to see that you see in this game playing out? Uh, well, the first matchup is going to be, can the Kansas City Chiefs offensive line stop Joey Bosa, who is yes. an absolute monster coming off the, the, the defensive line for the Los Angeles Chargers? And let's not forget the man who we talked about in week one of the Tony Sands show, Khalil Bill Mack. Mack. The return oh. of the Mack. I said, we got to watch out. What's he going to do? Is he going to look old and washed up, or is he going to come out motivated? And he came out motivated, motivated. in a record game last week with three sacks. So yes. I'm looking to see, can Kansas City's offensive line control that matchup right there? That's the number one matchup for me for the night right there. And also, too, let's not forget, Keenan Allen is not playing tonight, Tony. So right. what do you think about that now? Keenan Allen is not playing for the Los Angeles Chargers. And that is big for them. That is that is big uh, when, when we look at how they play and how their matchup is. That's going to be a big one. But when, you, when we talk about Khalil Mack, and we talk about Bosa. How big was a pickup for them to get Khalil Mack when they knew they had Joey Bosa on well, Bosa on one side, and we can get another great pass rusher on the other side? That puts pressure on any offensive line because guess what? The question both of them got saying, "I meet you at the quarterback." Sure. Is you can't double-team anybody, Tony. You can't double-team anybody. You're going to have to require running backs, as people know, when you got these these aggressive defensive ends coming off the right. edge like that. What you want to do is you want to leave a running back in to chip the defensive lineman, and then the running back be able to bounce off, be able to get some separation, and be able to catch a pass out of the backfield. But you, these guys are going to, you know, Austin Eckler and the various running backs of the Los Angeles Chargers are going to have a hard time chipping guys like Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa. They're big, they're fast, and highly experienced and looking for a running back to be able to try chip them on those type of plays, and and and, and let's let's break it down. And what what's your prediction? Who you who do you see uh, playing out and winning this ball game? And what you think the score possibly be? I think home field advantage is a big thing, Tony. Kansas City Chiefs are at home. I think that they have a lot to prove. That, I that think crowd. with no Keenan Allen, yeah, the crowd, the Keenan that Allen. Crowd that's, That's right. right. Look what happened to the Denver Broncos. Seven false starts, which cost them a lot of the, the game on Monday night. So I think that the, the Chargers are going to have a hard time. They'll probably be prepared. But with no Keenan Allen, I have the Kansas City Chiefs winning this game 26 to 20. You're going 26 to 20? Yes. And let's not forget, Harrison Bucker, I do not think, is playing also. We got to check to see right before the game starts in a few minutes. We got to see if Harrison Bucker, the Kansas City Chiefs kicker, is actually going to kick tonight because I think they're going to be going for two point conversions all night once they score touchdowns. I, listen, I, I'm a Kansas City fan because you know that's where I, you know, I, I lived in Kansas for you know, approximately eight to nine years. So I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan. So I cannot go away from the Kansas City Chiefs. I am a Cowboy. But I love the way the Kansas City Chiefs are playing. I love my man E.B., Eric B. Enemy, because I, you know, this man has been, been boys since we played against each other in the Big Eight. Now, I'm, I'm, but the only thing I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about with Eric B. Enemy, why hasn't he been able to get an opportunity to be a head coach mm. in the NFL? That's, that, to me, I'm still finding that to be 
a sore spot every time I see some of these young guys getting their opportunity here go a guy that week in and week out, year in and year out, has proven himself and his offenses are still putting up big numbers despite getting rid of one of the fastest guys in the NFL. Here we go again. His offense putting up big numbers, five touchdowns. Listen. You know what I think, Tony, in reference to, to, to him, he definitely deserves a shot to be a head coach. But I think for yeah. some reason, Eric Bieniemy. I don't know the man personally. I've never met the man, but he comes off to me as a very docile, quiet gentleman. And oh, I no. think that it works. Unfor- is he like that? EB is not a quiet guy. <laughs> can he control a room? Yeah, he can control the room. He's, he's controlled the university. But there's got to be a reason why they're passing him up, though, Tony. I mean, they're passing him up. Uh, they've been passed, but, but, but it, all See, I think. See, I think Brian Flores has got that that aggressive mentality that 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 ownership likes, GMs like, and even though he was quiet, also I think Brian Flores coming from Brooklyn, New York, and being under Bill Belichick, I think he has sort of like this quiet assassin type of a thing that they actually like. I don't think that Eric Bieniemy has this. I don't know that he's what, missing something. I think what's really hurt Eric Bieniemy is possibly Andy Reid. Mm, okay, because I think people still have the impression that Andy Reid is the one making the calls and, and setting all that up, and you just have Eric Bieniemy as an offensive coordinator. So I think that part, if anything is hurting him, I think that's hurting him more than anything. Mm, okay. It's just that. It's that, that Andy Reid, a lot of people feel like, and that's as you stated, this is Andy Reid's type of offense. Right, right. So I think that's, that, that is hurting him a lot. Uh, like I say, hey man, listen, our producers telling them we got two minutes left in this show. As my man Chico de Burgo would say in South Florida, there's three girls <laughs> radio. I'm telling you what it is. But man, listen, so you you predicting Kansas City? I'm going with Kansas City. I know San Diego. What's the is- score? What's the, what's your score, Tony? What's your score you got? I'm going. I'm gonna go 21 14. Be honest with you. Okay. I'm going 24 and 14. No, okay. I, I take that back. I'm going to go 28-14. I'm going to go 28 okay. I okay. think they're going to – Kansas City is going to put up enough with the quick game in order to, to slow down the pass rush of Mac and Bosa. And I think they changed uh, San Diego. I mean, not San Diego. Here I go, San, San Diego. Los <laughs> Angeles. Right. Los right. The Chargers going to have to adjust to the quick game, and I think that's what's going to separate that. I I see this as being a big game. So with that being game. said, listen, V-Man, each and every week we're putting up shows like after show. We're giving, them, we're giving our audience nothing but great, great sports talk. Listen, man, we got to go out of here. What you say? Tell your audience people. goodbye. That's right. It's for the people. We're giving it to them for the people, by the people, and we are the people. So we are giving it to you. We're closing out here on the Tony Sand Show. We'll join you next Thursday as we break down this game. I'm going to watch Kansas City and the Los Angeles Chargers compete. Stay tuned here on the Tony Sand Show.